page 291 in the Bibles in front of you, that's Psalm 19, the first part of it. And then if you flip over to 292, that's the rest of the psalm. So we'll be spending our time, spending our morning in that chapter to see what God has to tell us today. Yeah, Eric and I, we go way back. He is one, yeah, exactly what he said. Very few people know me like Eric do. I have learned a ton from this man. I love him. I love his family. I love the moments that God has given to us. I feel like it's God's grace that we both started together because we can cry together, we can celebrate together, we can, we can cheer each other on to see what God is doing at all over the city of Chicago. You know, um, One of the things, really quick, I'll, I'll mention about myself. I grew up in Mexico City. Uh, I was there as a missionary kid from when I was three till when I was 14. Loved Mexico City, thought I'd be going back, and yet God kept me in Chicago. And I was always wondering, why, God, did you keep me in Chicago? What do you have for me here? Because my heart is in Latin America. My heart is in Mexico. My heart is in other places, and yet God brought me here. But since I've been here, God has given me a heart for the city of Chicago. And one of the things that our church has as a vision is that we want to see one church in every single micro-neighborhood of the city of Chicago. That's 276 micro-neighborhoods. We want to see a Bible-believing church, not a park campus, not a logo, but a, but a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. And that's what makes me so excited that the brook is here, that the brook has been started, because God is doing something here that we can never do, but God can do. And so we actually pray for the brook often at our church, because we know that, that the church, it's not a competition, but the church is a body. And one day we're all going to be together. And these walls won't be in between us anymore. And the miles won't be between us anymore. But we'll be together with the most amazing thing in front of us. And that's God himself. So we might as well get used to it right now, right? While we sing and pray. So it was great for me to be here with you guys worshiping this morning. A little bit more about myself. So I am married. I married my wife. I think we should have a slide of that. Uh, we married about 12 years ago, actually just about two months after you guys got married, I think. We were the same year, but um, have five kids. We've adopted two, three biological, Abigail, Titus, Tania, Elijah, and Silas, as you can see them in their picture. They are the absolute most calm kids you've ever met. <laughs> Not really. Um, you know, as I was saying, one of the things that I remember about Eric... He mentioned that we got to know each other when we were going through, sem- through seminary together. We actually didn't live too far from each other, but one of the things we did, we, we commuted up to Trinity together uh, about twice, three times a week. And it gave me somebody to, to walk through that experience, the learning, the growing, bouncing off ideas. But, but probably the most meaningful thing that we did is every single day we were on that road, we got off from Highway 41 got onto a small road called Half Day Road Prayer, or Half Day Road, I can't even say it without saying it, Half Day Road, and we did this thing called Half Day Prayer. For about 10 minutes before we went to class, we would spend that time focusing our hearts and our attention on God. And I know that, that God listens, that God hears, and that, that, that us being here is a testimony to God's greatness to be able to be together as a family, united. So as we, I've heard that you guys are going, that went through a series on prayer, and I hope that as you guys went through that series, that it not just changed the way you pray, but it changed what you expect out of prayer. That prayer isn't just something we do like a Hail Mary pass at the end of a football game. 
It's not bottom of the ninth, down by one, and let's see if we can get our, our, our slugger up front. Prayer is something we do every single day. It's not just reserved for Sundays. It's through Monday, through Tuesday, through Wednesday, and the rest of the week. And so it's so necessary as we walk in fellowship with Jesus throughout the days. And something else that we'll be looking at today is that being in God's word is just as important for us as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we must engage with Scripture regularly in order to live in the light of its truth. So as followers of Jesus, we don't have an option. We have got to be in the Word of God every single day. Because when we come to the Bible, we should not admire the cover of the Bible. We shouldn't say, isn't this beautiful? Mine's black. I see yours is green with brown. Isn't it amazing? We don't admire the cover. We don't admire the small print or the large print or the font. We don't even admire the words, isolated from their meaning. What we come to is to see and admire a great God, to know a God, not just facts about him, but to see him move, to be fascinated by him in his word. And there are two ways that that God has made himself known to us in the passage that we're going to look at today. And, And one is his general revelation, which means it's open for all. And one is his special revelation. And we'll be focusing on the second part of that. But I think if we take it out of context, we won't see the beauty of the whole thing. So Psalm 19 opens, recognizing that God has made himself known through all things to everybody that he's created. And this is known as his general revelation. It's open to all people everywhere to see and to know who God is. It doesn't matter if you're in China or if you're in Afghanistan or if you're in Chicago. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or if you're 10 years old. It doesn't matter if you carry an assault rifle or a white flag. The general revelation is obvious to everyone to see this God. So he starts off in verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, open it up with me to verse 1 of Psalm 19. And it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the entire world. All people can marvel and see and are invited to see this active, creating God. Not a God who made and left Not a God who made and got bored and tired of his creation, but a God who has stayed. In fact, we see the dailiness of God, the constant dailiness of God in the world around us. So often, we live in Chicago, right? And sometimes it's hard to to really see the nature, but but think about it. There's a park across the street. There's trees on, on the roads, lining the roads. There's animals. There's birds. Where I live, there's deer and raccoons and skunks. And we're able to see God in his beautiful, amazing way that he's crafted and created these things. Unless we not forget that he's also created us. 
And so when we look around this room, no two one of us is the same. And so as we look around, God created you special. But this is just a start. God is known all around because of the fingerprints that we see. But the psalmist does not end there. He continues, making us fall in love with this God who speaks. The God who creates by the power of his word. He shows us the beauty of his special revelation. The word itself, the Bible. Will you pray with me this morning? Dear Father, as we come, as we look at your word, may we be excited to get back to our houses, to get into your word, God. That this wouldn't be the diet that we have for the rest of the week, but God, that we would be excited. That we would wake up early, that we would stay up late, that we would use the moments we have on the commute or the moments we have during lunch to be in your word, God. And that from it, we wouldn't be satisfied to to glaze over a few words and, and question what they mean, but help us to dig deep and to fall in love with the God that we see in Scripture, God. Be with us this morning. Be with us. Uh, alive in our ears. Help us to hear and to see these marvelous truths. And I'll give you a moment right now in your seats. Pray that God would speak to you today. Pray that God would show up this morning in your mind and in your heart. God's name we pray. Amen. Recently, an influential pastor was on Oprah's show, The Super Soul Sunday. I hope you haven't seen it, but if you have. Anyway, so, so this influential pastor was on there, and this is what he had to say about the Bible. This is what he had to say, and it'll come up on the screen behind me. The church will continue to be even more irrelevant, irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. This is a pastor. This is a pastor. And do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's saying through this comment? That the church is growing irrelevant because it bases all it knows to do on these letters that were written 2,000 years ago that have no bearing on our life. Now, you might feel this way, but you may not say it that way. You might be wondering, what does this really have to do for me? How can I really make this something true in my life? It's hard to see how the Bible fits in with my pace. But maybe you don't feel that way yourself, but guaranteed you have family, friends, neighbors, coworkers that do. In fact, in a poll over America, it showed that people in our neighborhood are less likely today to view the Bible as sacred. And if that is the truth, it means it's irrelevant for them. And so when they come to you and they say, why are you so fascinated with that book? You got to be ready. You got to be ready to share with them why you love spending precious moments in the word. 
And in today's fast-paced world, even ourselves, sometimes we get distracted and we'd much rather go ask Siri or Google to find the answers to these ever-pressing questions in our life. And that begs the question, is it relevant to us? What does the Bible have to offer us? What does the Bible have to offer us? So we turn to the Bible to see what it has to say about itself. We turn to the second part of Psalm 19. And this is where we're going to see what it has to offer us. In this section we see the special revelation of God, that which he has given to us in his written word. So let's look at verses 7 through 11. 7 through 11. And you know what? I want to ask us all to stand up and to read it out loud. Now, when I say let's read it out loud, forget about the church voice. I just went to a Little League baseball championship game yesterday, and those parents could scream. That's what I want us to read like this morning, all right? Do you guys get it? Psalm 19, let's go and stand up, starting in verse 7. We're going to read this together. All right, ready? One, two, three. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. You may be seated. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for, for honoring God's word by standing up and proclaiming it like something we set our lives on. So earlier I asked a question. I asked, is the Bible useful? Is it relevant to me? And I believe that this passage is telling us that the Bible is relevant today because it offers us three things. It offers us wisdom, it offers us joy, and it offers us Jesus. It offers us wisdom, it offers us joy, and it offers us Jesus. And first we'll start with wisdom. The Bible is relevant because it offers us a wisdom to guide us. Life is complicated, isn't it? Life is hard. And I don't think there'd be anybody that would say, I don't need any wisdom today. In fact, we've got advisors for our finances When we go to the doctor, we're not satisfied with one doctor. We go to several because we want them to collaborate. We want to hear what are the options. We want to have wisdom to make the right and the best decision. We have consultants and life coaches. And we all need wisdom in this new technology era, don't we? Every time we get a new phone, we got to spend time figuring it out. And sometimes we can't. So we call our 10-year-old kids to help us, right? But the Bible offers us wisdom. It's the skill for living well. Charles Spurgeon, which was a pastor in England in the 1800s, once said, and I have a quote up here, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Let that soak in a little bit. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The Bible offers us wisdom wisdom to guide us through life through doubt through options through rights and wrongs the bible offers us wisdom 
So if you look at verse 7, it starts off, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. And this word simple, the simple person, refers to, to a young person, the naive, someone who is silly or persuaded easily. He maybe is enticed. And actually in the Hebrew language, there's several words for fool. And if you're going to be a fool, this is the best fool to be. Because you're willing to learn. You're willing to listen. It's opposed to the hard-nosed fool that says there is no God. So let's face it. We've all been this kind of fool in our life. We've all been the simple, the one who didn't understand, the one who didn't know. That's why we went to high school. That's why we had parents. Because we were fools and there was a lot of life we didn't get, we didn't understand. We weren't mature enough to grasp or to hold on to. But we are not left there as fools. In verse 7 it says, The testimony of the Lord is sure for the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure for the simple. It's reliable. You can take it to the bank. It will never let you down. And for a simple person, God's word makes them wise. Verse 8 picks up on this same idea. And it talks about wisdom also. And and look at me with that verse. It says in verse 8, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Have you ever been in a situation where you put something down, and then it got dark and you couldn't find it? I go camping with my family. We go camping and try to get out every year. But when we go, inevitably, before the sun goes down, we put something down and, and we spend time looking for it. It could be something big. It doesn't have to be small, especially if the, if the moon is gone. And it's this darkness. I can't see where it went. And so you just give up. You go back to your tent. You go to sleep. And then in the morning when the sun comes up, first of all, you're annoyed because it's so stinking early. And second of all, you go outside and you realize it's right here. How did I miss that? How did I miss that? Because the light exposes what the darkness was hiding. The light exposes what the darkness was hiding. And this is the idea in this phrase, the commandments of the Lord is pure. There is nothing clouding reality. It's clean, it's enlightening, or or makes obvious what was always been there, but you just couldn't see. When we come to God's word, it makes life clear. And our eyes are enlightened to the truth about ourselves and about our situation. It's as if the lights have just been turned on in our lives. So when the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one, guess what? There's none righteous. You can stop pretending. You can stop pretending to be right with God on your own strength. Because there's no one righteous in front of God. And when it tells us that, we take it to the bank. We're simple. We're learning. And then our eyes are enlightened and we can stop pretending that we are right. But until we see ourselves in God's goodness through Christ, then it makes sense. The lights have been switched on. In God's word, we are offered wisdom. Wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's it's knowing the right thing, but then discerning what to do with it. I heard once that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in your fruit salad. It's knowing that it's a fruit, but not putting it in your fruit salad. Wisdom is what we're after, not just knowledge. In your life, where do you need the word to guide you today? 
Where do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom to discern what you should or shouldn't do? What about those times when you have to make a quick decision? Maybe it's when a friend invites you to watch a questionable movie. What do you do? You can't spend there all day. You can't go back and retreat in your room to read a Bible to figure it out. What do you do in those moments when you have a split-second decision? How does God's Word guide you in that time? Well, the Word communicates a view of purity that is deeply embedded in the character of God. And so then all of a sudden, Galatians 5 comes to mind, whatever the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God's Word prepares us when we have to make that decision. When we have to make that hard, maybe unpopular decision, but then we are confident that we've made the right decision when we've bathed it in God's word. Friends, find wisdom in God's word. I know where I need wisdom today. I know where I need this wisdom, and it's in my parenting. It's as I care for my children. I need wisdom to raise all five of them in a God-fearing, God-honoring way. So what does the Bible say to guide me as a parent to my children? What does it say to me? Well, first I'm reminded that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And all of a sudden, this small phrase, as Jesus gets after his disciples, I'm reminded that my greatest task as a father, my greatest job as a father is to take my children to Jesus. And so when my children come running to me because somebody said something nasty about them that wasn't true at school, my first, in, my first inclination isn't to say, well, let me teach you how to throw a punch. My first instinct is to say, do you know what? Do you know what? Jesus talks about this. Let me take you to Jesus. What does Jesus tell me about this? And I take him to Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant who was forgiven much. And I ask them to forgive their classmates because Jesus has been faithful to forgive us. The the Bible, it gives me wisdom as I parent my children today and tomorrow. The Bible is crazy relevant to my life. What happens when things don't go maybe the way they should or the way we plan them? Maybe when I break up or when I go broke. When you feel like everyone is out to get you and nothing's going well. You know, we can turn bitter, cold, and hard, can't we? In the community that I'm at, many, 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 many people in my direct community belong to the 60 and over club. And you know what? I've seen a lot of bitter, cold, angry people. See, the word just doesn't give us wisdom to navigate life, but it also offers us joy to revive us. And that's the second reason that the word is relevant. It offers us joy to revive us, the alternative to bitterness. Look at verse 7 with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving 
the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I'm going to put up for you uh, something I found online, something that is very relevant to the brook. It's actually what we believe. It's what we believe, Paige. This is what it says. It says, We believe that God has spoken in the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error. In the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. The thing I love about this is that it it doesn't budge, saying, the Word of God's a good idea. It it might be useful in your life at some point. Oh, the Bible's without error, an ultimate authority. Can we get any clearer than that? question is do we believe it the question is do we believe it the word is perfect there is nothing wrong with it it is not lacking or deficient in any way it doesn't need to be defended or it doesn't have to we don't have to attend to attempt to use logic to believe it the word is perfect the word is perfect verse 9 says that the rules of the lord are true The rules of the Lord are true, and guess what? We're not. We are not truthful. The gospel makes it possible for us as imperfect to engage the perfect word. Jesus laid down his life that he bled and he died for me, that the perfect for the imperfect. Jesus is full of truth, but if we also read on, he is full of truth and grace, or grace and truth. And the grace invites you, and it invites me to be with him forever. Grace to restore your joy by giving you what you always wanted, but can never, never get on your own, and that's forgiveness. And the fruit of that work of Jesus is now receiving the word, the Bible, with joy. So when we come to the Bible, it's not out of obligation. It's not because I, I should do this. It's because it brings me joy to be there. The word reviving our soul is like like restoring our soul to factory settings. We've all had a computer that started to mess up and we had to restore it to factory settings. It's hitting this reset button of our life after we have been damaged by sin and now we are set back to God's original intent. God's word resets us as we see the law in all of its perfection. Jesus came to offer us that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus' obedience has made us righteous when we find ourselves in him. Nothing else can reset our souls like Jesus has. Nothing else restores our joy. God's word restores our joy by recording for us the hope available that's found in Jesus. It can be mine, it can be yours, if we respond to him as we read the word. And when you find yourself in Jesus, you find joy. And when you find joy, you want more of it. It's desirable. 
It's desirable. So let me ask you guys a question. If you were given the choice between wealth or God's word, what would you take? Seriously, don't, don't give me the church answer. What would you take? Amazing wealth or God's word? Well, David responds to that question for us. But he responds as somebody who has had incredible wealth. And this is what he has to say about God's word. Starting in verse 10. God's word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Here it's almost as if David is pausing and thinking of the greatest things that he has or the greatest thing that he's tasted. There's a lot of foodies out there. There's a lot of great things we've tasted. But he's pausing and he's thinking, what is the greatest thing? Okay, gold, honey, oh man, God's word is better. God's word is better than this. And this idea of God's word being sweeter than honey was actually something that that rabbis in the 12th century took literally. And as the kids were learning the alphabet of the Hebrew language, they'd have the slate that they would write every single letter down, and the kids on the first day of class would have to memorize and recite this. And after they finished it fully, the rabbis would dip that slate into honey and make the kids lick it off. I don't think it's too much about them making them do that, is it? I think they wanted to lick that off. Because for them, it's reinstilling in their mind that God's word is tasty. God's word is sweet. God's word is good. And the law was not something to keep us or to punish us, but the law was something that is good for us. God's word is to be desired. David has been there. He's had it all. And he says that God's, excuse me, God's word is better. In general, I don't think that our culture would say that the Bible is better, that it's sweet. I think it's more work and duty and rules and confusing. Maybe we can sum it up by saying it's irrelevant. So how can David say that it is to be desired and that it's sweet? Because he has encountered God there. Not just words on a page. As he contemplates and reads his word, he was with God. He was with God. And we can spend lots of time in the Bible We can have the high view of the scripture. We can put it on a podium in our homes. It might be very important to us. But we could be missing the value and the sweetness of the Bible if we never encounter God there. Because God's word brings restoration, wisdom, joy, enlightenment, and and sweet satisfaction when we stuff our mouths with it. If we understand that that being in God's word is simply being in a conversation with the most life-giving person, then we realize the great value of making his word a way of life. Not just something I do, but a way of life. You know, and we want joy. We want joy in our life, don't we? 
But there are so many circumstances in our lives that try to steal it, and sometimes it actually succeeds and steals our joy. Just think about it. Stress and anxiety, right? Stress and anxiety. How are we going to make it through this week? And God's word resets us and says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? God's word reminds me that that my God is big and that my problems are small, and the word resets my joy. How about overwhelming depression? That can steal my joy pretty quick. How am I going to make it out of bed today? Might be the question we would phrase. And God's word resets me and says, Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. (sighs) Healed. God's word reminds me that my God is big and that my problems are small. And that restores my joy. And my fear, I hear the words say, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Here's the point. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In my weakness, I hear the word say, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's word reminds me that my God is big, and my problems are small. And the word resets my joy. And there's no greater joy than to know God. God's word offers us a window. If you want to use that illustration, it, uses, it offers us a window. David doesn't sound like someone who is, who is in bondage and he's saying you've got to be in God's word and, and you've got to look at his precepts and his statutes and commandments. David, you've got to sit there, boy. No, oh, he says God's words are as a window to see God through. And at times, we're tempted to see the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts, as a personal instruction book, as a manual of sorts to figure this thing called life out. But there is so much more, and and David understood this, that the Bible is a window to look through and see God, see who God really is. This creator, the one who gives meaning, the one who redeems, the one who fights for his children, the one who provides all things, who gives generously, who calms the storm, who speaks and who guides. And as we gaze through that window, we are pulled into it. We're pulled into this story and we are offered a relationship with an amazing God. Not because we deserve it, because we've been good, but because God is good. And this is my third point. The Bible is relevant because in it we see Jesus. He offers us a relationship, a relationship with the God who saves us. 
Look at verse 12 and 13 with me in Psalm 19. Who can discern his error? Declare, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Before a relationship can be had between us and God, there's a problem that we must solve. Or is it us solving it anyway? There's a problem. A holy God can't be, by his nature, joined to something that isn't holy not perfect, not sure, not right, not pure, not clean, and not true. A holy God cannot be joined to wickedness, and we are wicked. Brenton Smith is incredibly wicked, and he stands condemned. And David knew that unless God declared him innocent, nobody else could. See, we have a heart issue, and it's called sin, but it happens in subtle ways, in the darkness and secluded areas of our hearts without us noticing it at times. Because sometimes we think we're just a little bit better than the guy next to us. I'm not that bad. You should see. I live next to. I hear what they Friends, nothing can make us right with God except God himself. And he has gone before us and he offers us forgiveness of sins because of Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not, not just some, not just a little bit of it, not just most of it, of all our unrighteousness. Jesus gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with the most holy God by taking our sins on himself. And he offers us his freedom. As David recognized in Psalm 19, only God can forgive us and reestablish our relationship with the holy God. His work on the cross saved us. But but guess what? Also, as followers of Jesus, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again because we fail. We don't just enter the kingdom through his blood. We are sanctified by his blood. The gospel that has saved us is the same gospel that changes us. And then David ends with verse 14. I mean, you've probably heard this verse before. Let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, the words from our mouth and the meditations of our heart can only be acceptable in God's sight when we find ourselves in Christ. I urge you, when you come to the Bible, see who you are and see who Jesus is. Realize their selfishness and his selflessness, his sacrifice. See your insufficiency and his total sufficiency. So is the Bible relevant even though it was written over 2,000 years ago? It is more relevant than any other words written before or since. Because in them we find wisdom to guide us, joy to revive us, and Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we must engage with Scripture regularly in order to live in the light of its truth. 
And I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I come to it having prayed and asked God to speak to me. I have seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I long for it as a baby longs for pure milk. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I make it a priority. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I give it time to work and I don't feel rushed to get through it. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I have a plan, either to read through a book or several books together. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I come to it regularly as a steady diet. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I memorize it, when I commit it to my heart. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I read it in community, whether together out loud or or by myself, knowing others are reading the same plan or passage with me. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I share what I have read with others. I've seen the word have its greatest impact in my life when I see the gospel. And you can't help but see the gospel everywhere. It drips with Jesus' blood. So receive God's word with me this morning as I reread chapter 19 of Psalms. Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven and its circuit to the ends of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, he is, there is great reward. Who can discern his heir? Oh, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Dear Father, Help us to encounter God through your word. 
God, help us not to, to be religious about going to your word, but help us to be abandoned about going to your word. Help us to obey it, God. Help us to have others around us that help us obey it when we can't. Help us to let others into our lives, to, to, to talk about your word clearly, especially in those areas that I'm blind to, God. In those times where, where I'm fearful, let me hear your voice. God, and in the times that everything is going well, help me not to fall asleep because I'm comfortable, because it's warm and cuddly. Help me, God, to stay alert, to be in your word. Give me wisdom, give us wisdom, give me joy, give us joy, and God, help us to see Jesus today. As we play our last song, I'd like to everyone just uh, to invite everyone just stand up, and our would our prayer, prayer counselors just come forward? Um, I want to invite everyone, anyone who um, just has a burden today. Um, if you're struggling with sin or just the difficulties of life. I just want you to know that put your trust in Jesus. He can take that burden away. Jesus said, come to me. All you are weary, we are weary and heavily burdened. And I'll take that away from you. And if you need intercession, someone to pray for you, please come forward.